Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Being Rare Podcast. Uh, if you are new to the Being Rare Podcast, I am Sarita, the host of the show. It is so good to have you join me today. Um, no Being Rare episode last week because I was traveling. Um, I'll probably do something quick and um, straight to the point about where I was, uh, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Today, we are continuing the conversation about newborn screening, and my co-hosts are two amazing folks here in the great state of Alabama, um, some colleagues and friends of mine, Jasmine Hightower and Swapna Kakani. Um, I have to just say real, real fast, and I told her that I was going to roast her for not being here, Brooke Thomas was scheduled to be on today's episode and she bounced on me at the last minute. Um, in all fairness, she's got some other things going on and she thought she was going to be able to join, but was unable to do so. We hope that she's able to, to, uh, to log in once she gets some things settled, but if not, um, Brooke, you owe me a payback and I just want to put that on air. So, Hey guys, welcome to, the Being Rare Podcast. I'm so glad to have y'all on. What is going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, Jasmine, you're in Mobile? I am in Dothan. Dothan, Dothan. Alabama. Good. What is the weather like there? It's actually really pretty today. And um, it rained last night, but it's pretty now. And I I think it's supposed to maybe rain tomorrow, but after that, be hot and sunny for the rest of the week, and mm-hmm. we're going to probably die. <laughs> All hardcore Alabama weather, like hardcore yeah, Alabama, hardcore sticky Alabama and muggy, weather. right? Right. And Swapna, you are right here in Huntsville with me. What is going on on your side of Huntsville? Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. And Jasmine, so excited to be here. You know, Huntsville's constantly growing and I cannot, I cannot keep, uh, literally every day, every weekend, there are new events I've never heard of before and I'm trying to manage my cynicism and my excitement, like having been born and raised in Huntsville, I'm like, what is all of this? And I feel weird about the growth and do I want to attend this new event versus, stay home and do something comfortable in my comfort zone. Exactly. Exactly. We have been here probably approaching 15 years and just the growth from our short time has been massive. So, so yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, so, so we're just going to go right into the conversation. Um, we are talking about newborn screening and we have talked about newborn screening for the entire month of September. Um, you can go back and check out those other episodes where we talked about, you know, newborn screening. September is newborn screening awareness month. And so we wanted to highlight um, this program the entire month. Um, and I will say, you know, some weeks it got a little uh, repetitive because of what this program is. You know, it's so much you can, you know, only so much that you can talk about, but we did want to take the entire month to to just kind of raise some awareness and provide a little education about newborn screening and what it means to um, the babies and the families who are screened. Um, 
I wanted to focus a little bit on state level advocacy. You know, I think a lot of times we talk about newborn screening and we think about it from um, a federal landscape, especially if you are on the outside of newborn screening conversations. And so, Swapna, I'd like to start with you. Like, let's just talk a little bit about what newborn screening is and what it means for um, individual states and specifically the state of Alabama. Newborn screening is one of the most successful and long, longest standing public health programs. We are celebrating 60 years of newborn screening this year. And so it's, it's a unique program in that it has both a federal aspect to it as well as a state aspect to it. And both are incredibly important and have to work together to have this program succeed. So with newborn screening, it is a, the, a screening test that's done at birth through by doing a heel stick, a small blood test on the heel of a newborn baby right after birth. And then those that blood, blood test, that blood is, is put on a card and that card is then sent to uh, in Alabama to the state public health state laboratory that is administered through the Alabama Department of Public Health. And they work tremendously hard to screen all these babies. We estimate there's about 60,000 babies per year that they're screening. Mm-hmm. And that's probably increasing with uh, Alabama's mm-hmm. growth, as we just talked about. And they screen for diseases that are on the newborn screening panel, which currently we have 37 conditions to screen for, uh, 37 conditions to screen for federally. Um, Alabama is screening for a a little fewer than that. And uh, and then families are told if if the, the screen is positive for these conditions or negative for these conditions. Uh, and this newborn screening started 60 years ago with tests like for cystic fibrosis, for sickle cell uh, that Jasmine can relate to. So diseases that are well known and also rare, and many of the diseases that are being added to the the screening program are rare diseases. And so the we find out which diseases are added to that are needed to be added to the state panel through the federal aspect that I talked about there. Um, so under the Health and Human Services Division, there's an advisory committee that approves which diseases can be added to the recommended uniform screening panel or the newborn screening panel. And then those that those diseases are recommended to be added to the state. And it requires a whole advocacy effort and a lot of work from the state lab to add those diseases. And that's where I think our work and our teamwork as a group comes in to make sure those diseases are added and we can expand that screening panel to include all the rare diseases um, necessary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's see. Um, I thought I saw Brooke trying to log in. Let me just see. (laughs) She heard your call out. (laughs) She heard me call her out. Um, Brooke, if you are trying to... If you are trying to log in, come on. I will let you in. Um, she said there's um, a that she's she's possibly using. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. 
All right. So we'll, I'll, I'll be on the lookout and I'll just let her in when I see her locked back on. So if I have to cut somebody off, that's why I'm just letting Brooke in. Um, um, and so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, just the, the, the total number at the federal level and how that differs at the state level. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but I wanted to highlight, you know, Jasmine, um, one of the things that Swapna said was just talking about the conditions that are on the rust. And she gave the official name of the <laughs> rust, which is a mouthful, but, um, you know, talk a little bit about what newborn screening means for you. Like how did you get in the space and, and why do you care so much about the newborn screening process? So for me, I was born, um, I am a rare disease patient. I have sickle cell anemia. And when I was born, I was born to <clears throat> a mother that didn't know that she had the sickle cell trait and a father that didn't know that he had the sickle cell trait. And luckily, whenever I was born in 1991, they actually had sickle cell on the panel. And so they got to test me when I was a couple days old and she got the results from it within um, a few weeks or so, she said. And she found out that her daughter has sickle cell and she's like, what is sickle cell? I have no clue what this is about. And it in turn made it to where she had to research a lot. And I saw that growing up. Um, and I know how important to have newborn screening is for it, how important it can be for a person. If I didn't, wasn't diagnosed when I was diagnosed, who knows when I would have been officially diagnosed with this. And um, with sickle cell disease, primarily, a lot of times um, you have so many pain crises, and if they go untreated, they can start attacking and making your organs shut down, um, things like that. So in order to not get that way and things like that, testing and knowing that a person has a disease as soon as possible is really the best outcome for it. Mm -hmm. And so your so your neither one of your parents knew that they had the trait until you were diagnosed. Oh wait, don't answer. Let me let Brooke in real quick. Okay. Hey, hey, yeah, you you are flipped to the side. Can you flip your flip your screen? There you. <laughs> Well, welcome. It's a little loud. It's a little loud, but but we can hear you. No, you're okay. You're okay. I'm glad you were able to log on. Yeah, yeah. You must have heard me talking trash about you kicking me to the curb and not joining. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right? Right, right. Listen, pull your pull your camera down just a little bit because the top of your head is cut off. There you go. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Listen, so we are, look, hey, we are talking newborn screening and just talking about, you know, what's going on here in the state of Alabama, why we care so much. And, um, 
you know, and I know you may have to run. So just jump right in right there. Like, why do you why do you care about newborn screening so much? Why is it such a big deal for you? Yeah. And I love that, you know, doing it for doing it for the next kid, the next family. I think that's, you know, that's my same purpose with it. Um, you know, I have shared several times about we, you know, we not getting newborn screening for Elijah, um, nor is his diagnosis on the rust. Anyways, you know, we we got it in utero. But um, but it is about the next family and the next set of kids, because um a lot of our comorbidities could have been identified potentially by newborn screening. And that's enough for us to, to make sure we keep that momentum and the conversation, the awareness, the education, because somebody else could benefit from something that, that we did not receive, but, but we're right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, and now Brooke, you have, you go whenever you need to. Um, I mean, like I, no, I'm just saying if you, I don't want you to feel like I'm holding you hostage, but I know you're like multitasking. I mean, I'm okay. Um, hopefully echo, um, and noise cancellation will muff it down just a little bit, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Look, I'll just say if it's too loud, when I do a playback, we'll just have to re-record and and <laughs> I'm just I'm just piling on all the pressure, right? <laughs> just piling on the pressure. Um, okay, so Swapna, let's talk about um, talking about like the newborn screening um, just at the state level. You talked about the different conditions um, at the federal level, but but that may not be on the state rust. What is that process like? How do we how do we align with what the federal has implemented at the state level? Yeah. So at the state level, when Wait, the, I'm sorry. So I, hey, Brooke, will you will you just mute for a little bit? Yeah. Let me see if that helps with the perfect. Just so we can hear yeah, Swap now. No, thank you. Um, so yeah, with the state level, when a when a disease comes down from the federal uh, from the RUSP, uh, the state has to also figure out how to be able to do th that test within their resources or maybe even bring in more resources and new testing equipment or even more lab staff to be able to make sure that that test is now valid and reliable in in their setting. Uh, and so that that can take some time. And in, in Alabama, and as a rare disease advocate, we, we knew the importance of just early diagnostics. And that has been the number one advocacy priority of mine and, and then for Alabama Rare. And, and then I, I met Brooke and other people in this community that 
augmented that narrative and it gave us reason to let's let's push on newborn screening specifically. Let's go from talking about the importance of early diagnostics to let's go a little deeper and figure out how do we make sure the babies in Alabama, the rare families affected by rare disease are getting those early diagnostics uh, as best as possible. And so diving in number one is relationships. Like I believe so strongly, and I think everything we do in rare disease advocacy and just in life is based on communication and relationships. So number one is I just wanted to make a relationship with the Department of Public Health and the lab. And the lab, right, the leadership of the lab, the leadership of the department, uh, chief medical officer, and and the necessary employees that are related to uh, to newborn the newborn screening program and the, the the director of the newborn screening program, and so in that in building those relationships, learned some of these things, learned the, like the numbers of births they're having, the number of uh, positive diagnoses they actually make per year, and what are the what are the barriers that they are seeing at the state level that does require the time that it is taking right now to take a disease from the federal level to then actually adding it to the state panel, and then that that test being delivered to our families born in Alabama, and it was it was really insightful. And I, it really felt good to just get it from the grassroots up, like figuring out what is going on in our own state, in our backyard. And every state is different. I mean, I think there, with the advent of COVID, unfortunately, I think many labs are um, under a lot of duties now and, are, and mm-hmm. have just um, been severely affected by the amount of work, but then lack of resources, be it manpower or otherwise. And so some of that is commonalities across the country, but then we also always have to have respect to each state and what our state is doing and what our state needs help with and has capacity capacity for. So in the last couple of years, that's what we've been learning and and then have have started to strengthen those relationships to to be able to take that next step. And uh, and now that is actually looking at a legislative solution. Yeah, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, I think that's one part of newborn screening that has been a difficult conversations for a lot of patient communities, just really trying to figure out how to get um, conditions on the rust. But then once those conditions are added, how do you get those conditions actually implemented into your state? for testing. Um, And so, I mean, I think you highlight um, a lot of variables to help folks think about, you know, it's, it's a process. And I think, you know, I think a lot of times we think because it's been approved at the federal level, that there is an immediate um, response at the state level to get things done. Um, And let's be fair, you know, um, you know, let's be fair. I think I think sometimes we do drag our feet a little bit, but I do think overall we we are looking for solutions and and really trying to get the best uh, processes in place so we can accurately test for these conditions. And so I'm not nagging at the state, but I'm also saying, you know, let's amp up that momentum a little bit so we can get these conditions tested for, especially once they've been approved, because that can be discouraging. So let's talk about that a little bit. The discouragement that comes um, from 
a diag uh, a condition, a diagnosis being approved to be tested, added, but it hasn't been done at the state level. And uh, and I want both of your perspectives there. But Jasmine, I want to start with you, especially given that you've received your diagnosis by way of newborn screening. But at that time, you also your family also learned that they had the trait, uh, the sickle cell trait, mom and dad. Correct. What does that mean for what does that mean for you when you think about the the families that you speak to um when you think about it from uh an advocacy lens um you know what is your thought process when you think about a condition has been added at the federal level but we're challenged with getting it added at the state level Well for one I think I think at first what are we doing? Okay, what are we what we got to do? Like let's see what's going on to see like what we can do to speed up the process or who we need to talk to when at this point and stuff. Um and another thing that I had to realize was that um Alabama most parts are still a very rural area. Um, where I live in Dothan, it is coming up in a city um, and it's becoming a lot larger than what it has been before. But at the same time, we're still behind on things. We still only have two hospitals here. We share hospital staffs and things like that um, whenever you have in a city, I think, or a county or whatever, um, whenever you have low hospital staffs and stuff like that, I think that also adds on pressure and adds on things to, uh, to where we can't get to where we might need to be because little things like that might need to be fixed before um, we can actually start testing. And also seeing if we have enough people to work the state lab that we need to, like we don't need for the test to be run and then it sits on a desk for six months or have, or in a container or whatever for six months that, you know, that can't be either. So we also need to um, have that also. But I try to sort of give a balanced um, thing, idea whenever I talk to different, um, different patient, um, rare patient parents or rare patients themselves or things like that to give a emotion like, yeah, I know it's frustrating. I'm frustrated with you. How about we try to look at some avenues where we might be falling down from? Um, so yeah, I, I, think that sort of answer your question. <laughs> no, it, it, it does. And it, and it actually, it just, um, <clears throat> it, it affirms what Swapna was saying in terms of, you know, we have to have the infrastructure. We have to have the people in place. It's not just a, you know, it's not just a one and done. There's a process and, um, you know, the lab may not be able to handle 
um, as seamlessly as it seems they should, you know, a new condition being added. Um, and so I think that's a lot of the awareness that we wanted to make sure to highlight. Swap, so I wanted you to kind of chime in there too. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jasmine. Also, I was thinking about Alabama has been growing at a very fast pace all over the state. Um, and that is also a contributing factor, like Swapna said, too. So because we're growing so fast, it's like we can't build enough and also have enough people in places for things like that whenever the time comes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That That's no, that's a good, good perspective. Uh, Swapna, I want you to chime in there, too, just about, you know, just talking about um keeping families encouraged, you know, once a diagnosis or a condition has been added to the Russ at the federal level, but the struggle at the state level to actually get it added and, and once it's added to actually start testing for it. Like, how do we do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mockery to, um, to uh, diagnostics. I mean, the, it takes a lot to, uh, I don't think that that's understated. Um, and so for listeners, it, it, it's a huge undertaking for a patient advocacy organization um, or entity to to give the government this nomination package to nominate their disease to the rust. And it's usually uh, on the shoulders of a patient advocacy organization, as we know, um, is usually run by families themselves that are personally affected by rare disease. So I applaud everyone who has been involved in that work from from every level to to be able to put a nomination package up and then get their disease approved. And it doesn't always happen in that first advisory committee meeting. It can take a couple of times. We've seen diseases most recently be denied and then get another chance to be re re uh, evaluated. And so it's it's a big process. So that's why I say it's a mockery. When you finally get to that approval, you get the letter mm -hmm. from the Secretary of Health. And at the bottom of the, the last sentence says, this is a recommendation to be, right? It's a recommendation. Mm -hmm. And so that gives the, the, the flexibility and the freedom to the state lab um, to then take it in their hands to add it at the time that they can. And that varies all across the country. And we have seen uh, with increased advocacy and support from, a, I believe strongly, as you guys uh, also do in grassroots movements. So we see the influence of grassroots movements and, and a combination of top down where organizations are coming in to help push uh, a state entity to start to start screening. But again, it's not a magic bullet. Doesn't the switch mm -hmm. doesn't turn on once that letter is written by the Secretary of Health? It can take years. And and, and Brooke, um, her three children have MPS1. MPS1 was approved at the federal level on the RASP in 2016. And we are still not screening for it in Alabama six years later. And yeah. I want to speak on behalf of the lab that the lab has shared that their employees feel this pain as well. And I, I do I do believe that. I mean, they are working with the capacity they have, all of us, right? We all have our our um our invisible, invisible capacities and limitations. And so it it never hurts to put some fire underneath yeah. any of our feet, right? And that's I think that's where we do come in and coming in and as a patient advocacy organization or a or a and and someone who really cares about public health, we 
we have learned in this process that we're the ones who know the most about this whole process and the mm -hmm. different aspects and the different resources and the different po possible options to improve this, this uh, timeline. Um, and so it, it gives us a unique perspective, but at the same time, we're not the experts in the public health department. We're not the experts in screening for a lab test. Um, mm -hmm. um, we're not the experts in gene therapy, but we do know a good bit of all the aspects. So we're trying to really be that uniting factor. So let's bring all the important people, stakeholders to the table and come together to make uh, a solution that works for everybody. And that's where we're at in Alabama and, and proud to have gotten this far. And it, um, it will be a long-term conversation and something that was shared at our, at our newborn screening breakfast this year from the lab was that in ideal world, ideal world, it would take a year. It would take a year to add a disease, but that's an ideal world. And so Jasmine, you mm -hmm. brought up some good factors and you know, we, a lot of states, I mean, a lot of hospitals in this state do not, no longer have um, maternal and OB um, uh, services anymore. And I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many different issues going on in the state when it comes to maternal and child health and in this country. And I would love to say that we're going to fix the entire world or, or just the, the fact that we don't, our, our state agency employees are have low pay. That's a that's a topic of concern in this state. And so there's so many different big factors playing into this program a proxy. But it's right. huge. Mm -hmm. They're huge. And again, we are a rare disease advocate. We would love to save the world. We'd love to fix all these issues. But I believe strongly in let's start with what we can do and with what we do have and with the time mm -hmm. that we have and the resources and cap capabilities and energy that we have. And I think that's where we are and that's what we're doing thus far, but it's not the end because this will yeah. constantly evolve <laughs> what we're doing and the, how far we've gotten with the lab and our state. It, it will continue to evolve. It may be milestone one, but we have more work. We found out at the newborn screening program conference on, on this past week that Brooke and I attended uh, in Huntsville, where uh, um, staff were, were telling us that it's it's hard to find a pediatrician for their for their mothers and their babies because of mm -hmm. the growth. And there's other things going on as well with um, the decision to even do newborn screening for a family to say yes. Um, so there's just more public health issues that play into this, um, which, I mean, my heart is pounding as a public health professional, but it's also concerning and public health is something nobody ever sees it's usually what's happening behind behind you yeah 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 and so i think um i think that's a really great segue into kind of you know the wrap-up and the call to action you know um um, the legislative breakfast that Swapna mentioned was something that Alabama Rare, which is the grassroots organization that Swapna leads, uh, she's the executive director for, um, um, and Jasmine and I are supporters of Alabama Rare, and we work closely with Swapna to try to get some of this advocacy um, at the state level done. Uh, but Swapna, Swapna spearheads literally all of that. Um, 
But the legislative breakfast, if you want to check that out, you know, you can check out Alabama Rare, the website. Um, I know the the breakfast is also on the Alabama Rare Facebook page. But um, to just learn more about what that was about, you can check that out. But I did want to just say really quickly as we as we start to close, um, what is the call to action? You know, how can advocates get involved? What's the best way to get involved? Um, you know, how would you promote um, engagement for newborn screening specifically? You know, we can talk about a bunch of different things in the rare disease space, but September, we're talking about newborn screening specifically. What's what's that engagement? What does it look like and how can someone get started? Um, uh, let me start with Jasmine. Let me start with you. <laughs> call out, call out. Call out, call out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that also, that starts with talking to your community leaders, telling them what you're, what's going on in the community, what you might need um, to do to help them to get where it's at. Um, look at other organizations that might actually um, be dedicated towards newborn screening like Alabama Rear. And um, it's other different organizations out there too. But I think it it starts with talking to community leaders in your town and in talking to those people and telling them, listen, our town is going through this. We need some help. We need you to represent whenever you go to Montgomery and we voted you in, we need you to to speak for us. And that is um, what they are there for in a sense to let them know what their community is going through and what their community community um, needs help with and everything like that. So I think that would be the first place to go and then start seeing if you can volunteer at the local hospital in your newborn um, ward, if you have some too, that might also help out too. Um, I know for my city, we don't have, um, in one hospital, we don't have a pediatric ward anymore, but we do have a newborn and maternity ward, I believe, in both the hospitals. Okay, that's good stuff. Uh, Swapna, getting engaged, how, how do you get started there? Yeah, I think it's important to just understand what is newborn screening and the importance of it to any family because newborn screening is is something that can dispel inequity in in our state and in the country because a disease that can be diagnosed through screening can affect anyone regardless of gender, uh, race, ethnicity, uh, family income, background, geographic location. I mean, this is a diagnosis. Uh, and for many with diseases that are uh, identified on the newborn screening panel, um, as you guys know, and as Jasmine beautifully said in her own personal case, there's usually not a family history of it. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I was not diagnosed through newborn screening because my disease is not on, on newborn screening and it, it will not be. I, was, I had a congenital defect, but it's the same concept of the importance of early diagnostics. And my mm-hmm. journey is, it has become what it is, bec- partly because I was diagnosed within the first two days of birth, which also in newborn screening, you would be diagnosed within the right. first two days of birth, right? Mm-hmm. And the importance of that and why we can dispel inequity is that it's not the diseases that are then um, the, why I said mockery in the, in previously is the reason the, the, we get the diseases approved. They're looking at the incidence of the disease. They're looking at if there's a treatment of the disease, Mm -hmm. they're looking at if that treatment um, gives more help than harm and like the, the cost benefit analysis. And so, uh, there's usually a lot of research done prior and there's usually a treatment for the disease that can be given within and is supposed to be given within the first few weeks of life that can drastically change a a person's life from being wheelchair ridden or or not non-mobile to being able to walk without any limitations, things like that. Like, I mean, so uh, to understand the impact of newborn screening and understand exactly what it is, um, because what we have heard and what we're seeing possibly in the entire country is that parents are denying newborn screening for their child. Mm-hmm. And I I hope there's a, a there's a a pathway through the pediatrician's office, but I've just said that's a short there's a shortage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that people will still get their newborn screening done, but they may not. And so what may happen is you get late diagnosis, you lose the option of life-changing treatment. Yeah. Um, that is a mockery because that treatment went through so much R&D to get here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and parents and patients were part of those clinical trials to be able to get that treatment to where we are today. And then you're saying no to it. You're saying no to all of it. And then there was usually no family history of it. So how else would you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so let's understand this. Let's, let's learn more about newborn screening. We do have a page on it, um, both how it works at the federal level and at the state level. And I'm trying my best to take what some just resources I've seen this month from different um, people, Sarita and other podcast hosts and just other people in our world, uh, to then put it all in one page. So you have different mediums to learn this information so that we are leveling the field and um, democratizing this aspect of our health of early diagnostics. And I think all of us are so grateful for for our early diagnostics or just wish that and wish that upon others. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, and I'm just going to say, as I start to wrap up here, um, um, I actually mentioned that on another episode and I was just talking about um, the responsibility of parents when it comes to newborn screening, because I think you're right, Swapna. I think a lot of parents, they just don't understand what newborn screening is, what it means for the unborn child, the newborn child once they're here and what it means for the family. And I think, um, 
um, as much as we need to raise awareness about newborn screening, I think, you know, I'm just a firm believer that those conversations should be started in the OB window. Like we should start talking about newborn screening and, and providing that information and education. So when it's upon the parents, like when it's in their face, they know they know what it is so they can respond with a yes. And of course, you know, and we're not like, don't y'all know, don't, don't come for me with, with nothing crazy. We're not saying how parents should go or yes or no. That's not what we're talking about. We're just saying a lot of parents are probably um, choosing to not have newborn screening because they don't know enough about it. That's it. Like, we're not saying what people should or shouldn't do. Um, we just think there, there, I think, let me just say me, I think there's an opportunity for awareness and education that will help families make better informed decisions. And I think if we start talking about newborn screening a lot sooner than we do, um, it will help families have those resources. Um, man, so I appreciate my co-host here. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, even the value of follow-up. You know, if something were to to come back and just, you know, again, I think that's an awareness education thing, because um, I, I think a lot of families don't follow up um, a lot of times because they just they don't know what it means for mm -hmm. the, the newborn and the impact that it has on their families. Um, any last words as we as we come to the, I think I've said we're coming to a close like three times. I sound like a preacher. But you know they, how people say preachers close like three times before they're actually done. I really love where this conversation is going. And I think something else I learned at the program at the new. So on fr on this past Friday, September 22nd, um, for the first time since 2017, I didn't realize this, the Alabama newborn screening po program hosted an in-person conference. So a lot of nurses from all over the state, from mother baby units, social workers from the department and otherwise, and a lot of different agencies that affect mother and child health or um, can influence mother and child health um, came. And I got to learn that there, you know, Pompeii, for example, there's, it's a lot mm -hmm. of, a lot of people get late diagnosis or um, a lot of times we, we find out through a secondary screening. Um, actually, there was a family that shared their story with congenital hyperthyroidism mm -hmm. and they got a, it was the second screening where they got the positive. And so my, the point here is let's do what we can again with what resources we have. And that's why this mm -hmm. conversation is not going to end just here. And so if you can get that first test, please, by all means, get that first test. And I, I looked at Brooke as like, we may be changing the world if, if we right. can get if we can get a, a patient possibly at birth instead of when they're in their 20s with Pompe disease. And this is a muscular. I mean, this is sorry, that's a medication alarm. Um, but I mean, this is they have severe symptoms right mm -hmm. and and so that felt really validating but it was like wait this means nothing we're going to create another mockery of the system mm -hmm. if we mm -hmm. do all this work at the state level and then our families in our state are saying no just because hopefully because they just don't really understand they may see it as an intrusive test with no gain but right. like, there's so much gain but like it's kind of on i think on our du our duty to explain that, and for all three of us, it won't it won't it, it help us in our own journeys. But we're mm -hmm. always thinking about the babies. Like that conference yeah. said, yeah. this is all about the babies. And yes, it's, yeah, and um, it is. 
and the mm-hmm. statistic right now is like if we have 60,000 birds, this may be a little outdated, but I mean, 60,000 birds, but only 200 positive diagnoses, it's like not a big statistic of positive diagnoses. So, and parents are their a child's best advocate. And if, um, and so I don't want anyone to think we like if you are, um, if you do this, you're just putting it out into the world that you're going to have a positive. Like, I know I don't want anybody to feel like that. And I, right. I had, I've had that own thinking of myself for my disease. Like, if I go for it or if I do this um, effort, it's like putting it out in the world versus being proactive. Mm-hmm. And like, let's let's use data is sets us free, data is wisdom. Let's go back mm-hmm. to that evidence based uh, research that we have. Um, to mm-hmm. feed to feed this and change this um, structure, at least at the state level. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I know one thing, um, I'm not going to say I'm going to close again because I really am. But um, one thing, too, that you pointed out was, you know, in Alabama, there uh, we, we screen twice. And, um, you know, in some states, it's just the one, it's just the one test. And I actually... I'm on an advisory board with um with with a group of physicians and geneticists, uh, genetic counselors, and um we will work. We're we're actively currently working on a project um, looking at newborn screening um, versus genome sequencing and a bunch of other stuff. And a lot of them didn't know that Alabama was a two screen state um, mm-hmm. because where they are. It's just the one test, you know, within 24 to 48 hours after birth. And um, and I think we looked it up for the project that we're working on. And I think there are five states that are two screeners and everybody else is a one screen. But again, it's just it's something you don't think about until you have yeah. to unless you're already doing that work. And so um, I just I thought about it when you were saying Swapna. um you know, sometimes it's the second screen that identifies something. And so here in Alabama, we have the the luxury, if you will, of having that that backup test to to potentially identify something that the first test may have missed. And so, um, you know man, the, we can just no go you ahead. Know the instigating factor to get the second test after the first, like it's not not everyone just standardized gets. Not everyone just uniformly gets two tests, correct? No. Well, well, when I worked at when I worked at the hospital, um, I worked at a pediatric clinic at um, at at the at one of the hospitals here in Alabama, and every newborn got the second test. Um, And so it was, it was you know you got the first one kind of you got the first one before you left the hospital, and then you got that second one around you know, that first doctor visit to the pediatrician. So around that two week, three week window. Um, and so, um, and yeah, every newborn got it. Now, mind you, I worked there a little over 20 years ago. And so things may have changed for the state, but at that time, every single newborn, um, even my own children um, got to here in the state of Alabama. Um, so, okay. so yeah. Um, but yeah, we can just continue the newborn screening topic again, September newborn screening awareness month. I appreciate Swapna and Jasma being here serving as my co-host today. Um, so glad that Brooke was able to join for a few minutes. Um, she truly was multitasking. I, I give her a hard time just because, um, 
just because she's my friend and I know I can. But um, but I appreciate y'all for being here. We can continue this newborn screening talk um, topic to all of our listeners. Um, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Being Rare Podcast. Make sure to do that. You can find us uh, streaming on any platform that has podcasts. Um, you should be able to do a Google search and find Being Rare Podcast. We are also on YouTube. So subscribe and follow wherever you enjoy your podcast episodes. Also, take the time to follow us on social media at Being Rare Podcast. You can look for Jasmine and Swapna also on social media. Um, also, for Swapna, you can look for Alabama Rare, alabamarare.org, um, another resource here in the state of Alabama and work across the nation. So don't don't sell yourself short. If you're not in Alabama, that's okay. You can still go visit Alabama Rare and get some resources and information. All right. I have to get out all my marketing spiel before I wrap up. I try to say it all in one breath. Man, I appreciate y'all so much for being here. Thank you for serving as my co-host. We will continue the dialogue, continue the newborn screening work. Thank y'all. Anything before I wrap it up for real this time? Nope. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank y'all so much. All right, guys, until the next episode, be rare. Thank you for being here. Holla. (laughs) 